a Mitch and Jeremy exclusive. Are you ready? On air. Online. You ready to have a good time? On your smart speaker and wherever you stream. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. We're speaking with the one and only uh, Kevin uh, Godley, of course. Uh, Godley and Cream back in the 80s was one of the big... uh, Big things in my life, uh, and as we say here in Montreal, uh, bonjour, uh, Kevin. How are you? What does that mean? Oh, hello. Oh, bonjour. <laughs> hello. B- bonjour. <laughs> hello. Uh, okay. Line is doesn't doesn't everybody in the UK know bonjour? I thought uh, yeah. I thought uh, I thought they were you were taught that. Distorted slightly. That's- well, there you go. Uh, we're going to talk about, of course, uh, the latest album, Muscle Memory, that came out in, uh, well, last year. Uh, talk to me about this first solo album, because you, you've, of course, had a chance to do many albums in the past, but and this one was supposed to start off with Pledge Music, but that fell apart. Uh, talk to me about the process of getting this album out. Um, I got sent out of the blue a couple of pieces of instrumental music by people that I, I didn't know. Right. Um, asking if I'd be interested in turning the pieces of music into songs and, and record them. And uh, no one had asked me to do that before, so I, I tried it and enjoyed it. Um, it was kind of like writing, writing songs with somebody in the traditional way, although... Rather than sitting opposite them, there was nobody there. But there was a piece of music that existed. Um, and I found that quite sort of satisfying. Uh, so I did that and sort of life ticked away for a while. And I guess I'd, I'd, I'd wanted to, to, to make some music for a while, but I don't play an instrument. The only instrument that I have is my voice and... I'm a drummer, and, and that's not the ideal instrument to, to write music to. But I suddenly remembered these two tracks and thought, well, maybe, maybe if I put an ask out to everyone and anyone, they, that people would send me more pieces of music and I could turn them into more songs. So that's kind of theory. And that's precisely what began to happen with Pledge. Um, with Pledge, you know, it was like if you send me a piece of music and it gets recorded, then you get a T-shirt, and there was all sorts of things you had to offer with Pledge because it was, you know, it was a crowdfunding site. And, you know, um, and all was going swimmingly, and then they, they suddenly went under as a company, which was, which was a bit of a blow. And I'd already had quite a lot of songs in by them, Probably about 300 or something crazy, or pieces of music. Right. So I had to go shopping around for another way to release them, and I eventually ended up with 51 State Conspiracy, who gave me a little bit of money to finish to finish the album, which I never got any money at all from Pledge, as other artists, I imagine, had the same problem. So it's a real shame. But yeah, I, it, it, it was relatively simple in terms of the process. I just pulled the tracks that I like into GarageBand and, and started singing. And the ones that felt 
like they had a future, I continued singing. Um, and the ones that made it to the end, as, as demos I shared with, with my co-writer, or co-writers, um, for comments. And then, if they were happy, uh, I would continue and finish each, each track. So the process wasn't that different to the usual process, the usual traditional process. It just meant that I never really met anybody that I worked with, other than a couple of people that I knew already. Now, now with all these uh, excess demos that you have, does that mean that we might get a second and third album in, in short order? Or did you really sort of pick the best of the best and the rest, you just sort of stored them away and that's that? I have no thoughts about that. I mean, maybe, but maybe not, because I like to, if I'm going to make some more music, I'll probably approach it from a completely different angle to keep it fresh. Uh, and you're right, I, I wouldn't say the best tracks, but the tracks that suited the way I was thinking or seemed to work when I started to work on top of them were the ones that got finished. Um, I guess it, was, it, it seems to dovetail with the times in that I was working remotely because I couldn't, had I even chosen to, work with anybody one-on-one because it was COVID time. Um, so on the one hand, it was good, it worked. On the other hand, it was kind of depressing. So the subject matter of a lot of the songs is quite depressing because a lot was going on at the time. And I was, I mean, lyrics are a funny thing. Goodness knows where a lyric comes from. But while I was writing that, let me check my email. It keeps going ding, which isn't really it's probably It's probably Billy. Um, just let him know that we're actually on. Yes. Yeah. Bear with me. One second. It's yeah. a magic point. And, and extend extend my uh, my apologies to him too. Uh, oh, uh, I was panicking on this side, going, "Oh, please, Zoom! Why, why are you not watching today?" Uh, okay. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Let, let, let me quickly quickly ask you about lyrics because uh, I, I've spoken to a lot of songwriters and and one in particular uh, or, or Jim Valance, Desmond Child, and a couple of others. They always say that they come up with a title and then from the title they write the lyrics, and then from that they they get the music and they try to sort of you know make sure that the, the lyrics fits the melody and so on and so forth. The way that you made this album, with the music being sent to you first, uh, for the most part, did that mean that you had to do the process sort of in reverse? And was it more difficult to have lyrics fit music that was sort of already there? Really? I mean, lyric, lyrics, they're a strange thing, but they're kind of different to music because, at least for me, if... If I'm going to use words, then I'd like them to say something. Right. I'd like them to make sense. I'd like them to sound interesting. And I'd like them to 
if not tell a story, but impart a certain atmosphere and say something. It's it's too easy just to use words as abstract patterns. Right. Um, I don't do that. So what usually happens with words is I do this. I listen, and, and maybe nothing will come until I'm out driving somewhere, and I'm not even thinking about it, and something will come, um, and I kind of try it against the music and maybe for a while there's, there's, there's no real sense there. I think a lot of songwriters are like that. When they start lyrics, they, any old gibberish that they can speak or they can sing will do as a sort of placeholders for words that come later. I mean, a good example of that is um, Paul McCartney in Hey Jude. That line, the movement you need is in your shoulder. Wasn't was a placeholder. It was only John Lennon that insisted he kept the line in. It's meaningless. <laughs> well, it's not meaningless, but in context, it's not. And that's what lyric writing is. It's 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 jabbering until something makes sense. And during the jabbering process, if you're lucky, a key will emerge, a phrase or, or a word. That will make that will make you go. That's what this is about. And once you know, once you have the kernel, the core, you can kind of work outwards from that and make hopefully the whole song make some kind of sense. It's funny. It's like it, I guess it's like writing everything. There is something in there that helps you get from A to Z, but it doesn't come to a roundabout L if you don't. Know. Yeah, you know, it, ma- it makes me think of, uh, I'm a big completist when it comes to, bu- to buying records. So I have everything by Phil Collins and everything by the Scorpions, and they have all these demos on these deluxe versions yeah. that are these scratch tracks where it's just a whole bunch of like, what was that? Like, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden you can sort of hear it develop into a song. Um, so is that the process for you? You, you sing a whole, you sing a scratch track and you, and you try to, just fit it until something like, or, or yeah. Wow. I mean, there was one track. I, I forget which particular track it was. Um, where the chord sequence was so complex, I couldn't tell where it began and ended and, and started again. I couldn't get a grip. So all I did was I, I, I recorded a section and then recorded another such. In other words, I went through the whole instrumental piece in sort of 30-second bursts, maybe less 15-second bursts, treating each part completely separately in the hope that it would somehow hold together as a song. And miraculously, it did. there is no, there is no real process. It's, it's. I guess it's some kind of writer's instinct that you don't know you've developed over the years, but maybe, maybe you actually have. To there is a point where you think, oh, that's right, and so you go with it. And maybe later on, when something else develops in a different part of the music, you can make a change. 
there is a certain point where you have an understanding of what this song is if it, and how it needs to exist. It does. Uh, let me ask you this, because you're also a filmmaker. You've made a lot of videos for a lot of famous people. Is that the sort of same process when you're trying to when you're trying to come up with a concept for a video where you sort of sit around and sort of have like, you know, scratch tracks of what the video might look like in your head. And then you finally get with Brian Adams or Fine Young Cannibals and you go, aha. Now we have a vision. I mean, is, is it sort of, did you go into it with a clear vision or do you sort of, and I, and, and I mean this politely, do you sort of muddle your way until you go, ah, oh, there's the path. It's, it's not dissimilar. It's, right. it's slightly different because this time, this time what you're actually doing as opposed to creating an original, you are framing an original. Right if that makes any, any sense at all. And sometimes right. the framing of it can be something very simple, but all you are really trying to do is capture, at least all I'm trying to do is capture something of the spirit of that piece of music. Of the artist. I'm very rarely trying to, trying to tell the story of that piece of music because the words do that and the music does that. I don't, I don't see the point of doing that. I'm trying to capture a mood. I'm trying to capture the spirit of this thing. Um, so I listen a lot. I do a lot of listening. And, and much as I would hope for a key to pop into my head regarding a lyric, a visual key, it's almost like it's not quite synesthesia in, in that I don't. It's not like listening to music and seeing colours, but it's not that far away. It's like listening to music and seeing images. I don't know if there's a word for that. An, 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 an image might, might come to mind. Um, and if that image does come to mind, and it makes sense to me, then it's something that I will work from. I'll begin with. But at any point, I could come up with a better idea and then just throw that in. Yeah, yeah. But I think the thing that's different is that once I've thought of the idea, I then have to figure out if it's possible to make. So I have to go through a whole more factually based procedure with my producer to find out, you know, which... which which photographer I've used, which, which wardrobe person, which this, that, and the other, where we'll shoot it, how to shoot it, and what te techniques I need to deliver the final thing. It's, so rather than sitting down in front of the garage band and singing, it's a much, it's less spontaneous. The ideas come spontaneously, and you can work them up into a theory, into a concept. But the actual practice of making the film is quite detailed and you really have to keep your eye on the ball through that, that process because that is what delivers the final thing. Has the making of videos changed from the, from the beginning? You know, when you're, when you're in 1989 or in the 80s and you're doing Cry and you're doing The Fine Young Cannibals and Band-Aid 2, you know it's going to MTV, you know it's going to, for, for broadcast. 
as you get into the 2000s and later in the 2000s, you sort of realize, well, this is going to go for YouTube. Does it? Did, did it change the creative mind at all of how you approach it? Did you have to be sort of less extravagant or or less visionary? And it's just like, all right, just just get it out. Did it change at all the process? The only thing that the only thing that has changed, I think, for me. No, the the process is always the same for me. The process is about coming up with something. And it sounds selfish, but it's coming up with something that I would like to see exist on the screen. Okay. If I don't get to that point, then I'm not interested in that particular thing. It's it's very selfish, but and it's pretentious to say that to me it's it's always been more of an art form than a commercial form, which of course it is. But it's a flatter and bigger playing field. Because the technology is there for anybody to make a video. Um, you could do it on an iPhone now. So it's cheaper. And if things are cheaper, then the budgets available to you in general are going to be less. Right. So, and it's not, it's not as important as it was before. To in the MTV years. To in the MTV years, it was like MTV was like having a, a global gallery where video artists could show their work. It's it's kind of not quite like that. It's out. Everything is out there, so people can click on and watch, and then leave after five seconds if they're not into it. It's a spoiled market. Everyone is spoiled. I think. And and that's part of my question in terms of the creative process, because when I was a kid and I turned on Much Music in Canada or MTV when I was traveling in the States, you, you sort of put it on and then you sat on the bed or sat on the couch and you just let it play for, for the next hour and you didn't really pay, you know, the songs you liked, you sort of looked over. Yeah. Now with YouTube, uh, I'll, I'll watch parts of 10 videos in three minutes. Do yeah. you have to think about... What my hook's going to be to get you to watch? I don't. No. Well, the hook is is an idea. The hook is the idea. Right. And if it's something, I'm always looking for something that somebody else hasn't done before, I guess. So I'm always looking to push the medium a little bit, if I can, if I'm allowed to. Uh of course, it depends on who the artist is, and it depends on the label. There are things now, and there always have been since, you know, the sort of early 90s called video commissioners and marketing departments. It's no longer just the artist saying, we like your work, do what you want. In fact, it's, it's a million miles from that. So it depends who it is. You know, sometimes it's just the artist who says, yeah, that's cool, let's do that. But I've only got this, and I'll go, okay, I can do that because I want to see it. Or I'll go, sorry, I can't do that for that kind of money. It, it's a crapshoot. But I only do them if I'm confident that, that it's something that's going to look really interesting. Right. Uh, I'll ask you one last question on the videos just real quick. Growing up for me, I always enjoyed just sort of the straight performance video because it, it still gave me as a listener 
the chance to listen to the lyrics and go create my own story. Whereas, you know, you see whatever. There's Def Leppard on stage. Perfect. Video's over. Now I'm playing it in my car and I can sort of see. Did you have a preference between uh, making sort of a performance video versus a conceptual video? Did, was that something that you thought about? And, and did it does it spoil the music if you give the listener the story or the vision? Uh -huh. I never give the listener the story. Right. I never tell the story. There's never... Or, or, the, or the vision? Yeah. There, there, there can be a concept, but the concept nine times out of, ten, out of ten includes some kind of performance. Right. So so you prefer the performance video? I prefer the conceptual performance video, if that makes any sense. In other words, I would take a performance and position it in some way, A, that gives the artist something something slightly different to deal with in terms of his performance or her performance, right. a situation or something. But there is, I am aware that the performance is always going to be the key. So I'm constantly looking for something that's going to help that artist deliver something special. Yeah, I see. I see what you mean because I'm I'm currently playing the Brian Adams videos you've done, the can't stop the things we started and the thought yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. and I and I'm yeah, you're right. I can see Brian's at his mic singing, but there's also some other stuff that goes on. And yeah, I can, okay, yeah, so. just a bit. And in a lot of cases, I nearly kill the artist. So, <laughs> but, so there is a certain amount of sadism involved. But yeah, that that's kind of I guess if you want to. Tie it up in a ribbon. That's kind of that's kind of what I do. That's the basis of what I do. What I don't do, if the lyric says, "Well, I got up this morning, I met my girlfriend at the bus stop, and we went and had breakfast together, <laughs> and then we came back to my place and we screwed." That I can't. That I want because you, if you see that as well as showing it, it's fucking boring. Because that's you want something different to. The song itself, you want the feeling of the song. And the feeling should wash over you as opposed to the basic, boring obviousness of it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, real quick, one of, the, one of the bands that I listen to and I love is a band called Thunder. And they covered, of course, uh, 10cc in, in one of their performances. Uh, just talk to me about the power of 10cc, the fact that, that the now you haven't been in the band for, for 30 years, but uh, it still goes on, the music still lives. Um, how proud are you of what you created with that band? Well, funnily enough, I went to see them live on Friday night in Dublin. Wow. <laughs> Is that weird, by the way? The, 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 very, very weird. Very weird. But there's a respect there that the music you created is so important that people still want to show up. They still want to hear it. I mean, that's that's got to be touching. It was. It was quite emotional. It, yeah. it was. It was. It was very. It was a very strange feeling. I mean, I've I've got up on stage with them on two or three occasions in the past, but I've never actually been out you know, by the sound mixer or the audience to actually watch it. Right. I've also made films for them that they show on stage. So, <laughs> but, yeah, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I remember that one. That's quite cool. That's interesting. <laughs> there was a very, very funny moment because it was a big, 
it was a, I wouldn't say it was a concert hall, it was a big space, not that big, for about 1,500 people of a certain age. And they were all drunk. Of course. For the most part, in Ireland. Um, Guinness was flowing. And they, the band played I'm Not In Love. Great um, song. Great yeah, song. it sounded fantastic. Other than the moment about two-thirds of the way of the track where everything goes quiet and a girl's voice says, big boys don't cry, big boys don't cry. Uh, and unfortunately, that was drowned out by a gaggle of women to my left having a very loud argument, <laughs> going, fuck off, you bitch. They fucking smack your brains out. And things like perfect, that. Perfect. Which didn't quite match what was going on stage. But it was a very, it was a very funny moment. Kind of brought me down to earth. And, but yes, I am, I am proud of, of of what we did. I mean, I was only in the band for four years, um, but for critically important years for me, it was almost like yeah. being in the band and having that that level of success, which was, was not enormous, but was was enough to to tell me that. Actually, what I can write and what I can do, some people like it. And I wasn't really aware until then that that was the case. That was the conduit. That was that was the that was the way, the route to everything else. I think. Yeah. Now, when 10CC was was really firing on all cylinders, I was super young. I mean, in seventy two, seventy three, seventy. I mean, I was four, five, six years old. By the time I got into my teens in in the in the 80s, uh, 10cc didn't seem to be a current preoccupation of the North American market. Oh. Were is is that a a correct perception that you were mostly sort of a UK band? You were sort of like a status quo where the the UK and Europe loved you and North America was difficult, or or was it just I was too young to notice? We had a big hit with I'm Not In Love. Of course. And we were starting to break in America. But I'm trying to analyse this over the years. I think the the problem 10CC had, unlike other bands who had a very specific outlook and a very specific Mm -hmm. sound, in a lot of cases a very specific approach to their visual characters and presentation mm-hmm. we, we didn't really have that um, and therefore we, we, we suffered from a lack of it um, we would try anything and everything musically and what we looked like didn't matter and, and those, those two characteristics working together didn't really help there was nothing so as we you know towards the end of the 70s leading into the 80s. A, Lol Cream and myself had already left the band in 76. Right. Um, and they carried on while we, we sort of bumbled along doing our own stuff as Godly and Cream. It, and this was the about to launch into the area of MTV. And there was nothing there that worked on MTV. <laughs> You know, the, the, per, the, the perfect artist for the video age and the incoming age and 
were people like David Bowie and were people like Boxy Music and, and people like people who had something to look at as well as something to listen to. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, Nameless, faceless won't get you anywhere. I mean, that's, that's you know. Say again? Nameless, faceless. There's a lot of bands like, you know, you look at Foreigner right now, they're touring with no original members, but it doesn't matter because nobody well, knows what they looked like back then. Nobody I knew know. what they looked like. I don't know. I haven't a clue. I haven't a clue. It's like the but, Eagles. But who, who's, whose fault was that not to develop an image? Was the band resistant where you just said, no, we're, we're, we're a pub band and we're going to go show up in our jeans and T-shirt? Or is it management who failed to have a vision and say, hey, you know what? You got to Alice Cooper it up a little bit here. Let's let's go. I mean, who? Or we were, has it been about? When we were first signed to our first label, we were told, guys, you can either wear transparent hot pants or denim. <laughs> Choose now. Uh, I'm glad you chose the um, denim because transparent hot pants would not have worked for me. <laughs> no, I don't think we'd be talking had we had more transparent hot pants. We'd be probably in jail. <laughs> yes, you would A be. long, long time. <laughs> but I, I just, I mean, it's interesting. It sort of carried on when me and Lol continued to work together as a, as a duo, even though we were making videos for other people, we still were kind of a bit wary of making videos for ourselves. I was, I was getting more into it, but Lol was still not very into being on camera. I, I just really? don't think we, we if, you, if you watch us live, 10CC live, it, we don't, we're not a bunch of snake hip rock and rollers, you know. We're, we're not, Eric Stewart wasn't Slash. Um, Too bad. You know, it's, we just didn't have the DNA to be what was required. And we didn't actually care that much um, because touring was like, you know, we had to tour, so we did tour, but our home was really in the studio. That was, that was where we really came into our own. Touring was just like something we did. So we, we never felt compelled to sit down and actually discuss how we were going to look, what we were going to wear, what do we want to project visually right. with this tour, with this album and all that stuff. There just wasn't the desire there to do that. I, I'm just amazed, though, that management didn't... I mean, you, you look at, for example, Bill O'Coin with... Bra, Bra, not with Brian Adams, with a Billy Idol and with Kiss. Yeah. And he walked in there and he said... He made them rehearse and said, okay, that's that's not working, that's not working. you got to bob your heads together at the same time. You go, I'm amazed that you didn't have somebody come in and say, listen, boys, we love the music, but i got to sell you to a promoter and this is not... Uh, nobody... Yeah, I'm amazed. That, I'm amazed that we never did it. I'm amazed that Lol and I never sat everybody down and said, "We got to look like something. This yeah. show has to look like something." Yeah. I guess we were more, we were more in the frame of mind of a Bruce Springsteen show, but we didn't have a Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, well, um, let me just I know you've talked about this a million times, but I just want to take you to cry for a second because I'm in high school. That video comes on. 
uh, you know, musically and everything, it's not what I'm supposed to like, and yet the video was so incredibly compelling to look at that I watched and watched and watched, and I learned to love the song. Um, how important was that song for you in your career? Because it sort of brought you to, like, people just went, oh, look at them. I mean, that, that was my perception, because it, it, it was, it, it's a, what do you call it, a, 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 you know, a post in your life there. A, yeah. What's the word yeah. I'm looking for? Not a signpost, but a, whatever, yeah. a, an important marker in your life. Definitely. I mean, people call it an iconic video, which is very flattering. Well, it is. I mean, it, listen, it I, was, I was 14, no, what was it, 85? I was, uh, I was 17. Yeah. At 17, I'm not supposed to care about a video called Cry. I'm not, I'm, you know, supposed to be a tough guy running out having girlfriends. And, not, and you see this video and you stop and you go, wow, that is, and it, it, it made me go, wow, you know, at 17. Yeah. That's pretty impressive, <laughs> knowing me. Well, well the, story of, the story of Cry is, is interesting. It, the song, we'd part written the song 15 years earlier. We had the first wow. verse. And we could never take it any further until we hooked up with Trevor Horn. Um, and we started messing around with it. And that's kind of what came out of those sessions. And it felt it felt like a, you know, it felt quite commercial, for want of a better description. But again, the old sort of thing of what should we do for a video reared its head. It has to be about us. Yes. Do we have to be in it? I'm not sure. Okay. What we'll do is we'll get very popular ice skaters, UK ice skaters, Torville and Dean, to skate to it. Great idea. Wash our hands of it. Unfortunately, they weren't available when we needed to, to film it. So this was this was idea B. It sounded like sounded to us like the kind of song that anybody could sing. So we picked a load of faces out of a casting book uh, and decided to film them, singing the entire song, or lip-syncing to the entire song. Right. We sent cassettes out to everybody, and 20-odd people showed up. Half of them couldn't lip-sync to save their lives, but somehow it didn't make any difference. And then we shot them, and we didn't, still didn't quite know what we were going to do with it. Um, it was only when we hit the edit that, that something transpired to make it what it is. If you if you watch the video, the first three transitions from face to face, maybe even more, it's just face to face, a whole face to a whole other face to a whole other face. And we kind of got bored because we thought this isn't this isn't gonna last. Um and we remembered back in the day when it was um, it was it wasn't linear it was it wasn't nonlinear editing it was it's very simple the process back then many analog and the way you would get to from one place to another was with a paddle which dissolved from one place to another but there were also these things called um, soft wipe mixes which they mostly used for titling. Right. You, know, you can wipe from one word to another or yeah. open uh, up. So sports broadcasting would use that a lot. Yeah, those things, transition things. So, so right. we can, let's, let's, what happens if you apply this? T 
to to these two faces. So yeah, we tried that. And what happened was a face that didn't exist on the way from A to B arrived from nowhere. Wow, you've got punk hair with a beard. And that kind of thing began to happen. And we were off and running. That, that, was, that was kind of the process we used for the entire thing. There's no morphing going on because there was no such thing back then. It's those very simple soft wipes, circular, left to right, top to bottom, opening up, closing in. That's, that's really all that it was. And it was, I know it was a long edit. <laughs> I think we were probably at it for, you know, all, all night, I would Oh, the, the good old days of, of long good editing. Old days. Now with, uh, you know, Pro Tools or whatever, you, you just oh, snippety-snap, but back in the day. Um, to suffer. Yeah, the birds were tweeting at 5 o'clock in the morning. Just real quick, what are you most proud of, your, your, your video legacy or your music legacy? In the sense that when you think of Girls on Film, you think of Rocket, you think of Don't Give Up, you think of all these videos, a Cry... You go, holy crap, you changed how video making was made. Before you, they were boring. And then Godly and Cream comes out, and all of a sudden, people want to make great videos. But then again, you listen to 10cc, you listen to your music, you have bands like Thunder covering you. you uh, which, which are you most proud of? Because it's a great well, track record. I'm proud of both, but for, of course. for different reasons. Proud of 10cc because... Probably because we were left alone, because we were working in the north of England, which was hardly the centre of the music industry in the UK. Right. So we didn't have record labels staring over our shoulders saying, you can't say fucking chorus. Not that we ever did, but you know what I mean? We, we were left to do our own music. To your own devices, yeah. But, which was great. And we came up with some really interesting stuff. But the, the thing about making video was... It was the first time in our creative lives that we were in at the beginning of something. We weren't in at the beginning of popular music. No. We came in in the 70s. That kind of started in the late 50s. So right. we were late. We were picking something up and running with it. With this, with music video, there were no rules. There was nothing. Nobody knew what a video was supposed to be. All they knew was that the band can show up for a show, so maybe they'll they'll show a video instead. That was the mindset early on. And so we were allowed to to do stuff. Um, because nobody nobody really knew what it was supposed to do or be for a good while. And during that period of time we learned how to do them. We learned some of the technology. But we, but that's an interesting point. Nobody knew what they were supposed to be. And Nobody. then they saw your videos, they saw Girls on Film, they saw uh, Every Breath You Take, and they went, ah, that's what they're supposed to be. So, yes, so you were a leader. Yeah, exactly. And that, that was great. But, but, but then from that point on, once the powers that be, once the executives began to understand what they thought a music video should be, it was right. For that artist, we need black and white. For this artist, we need that kind of a video. And it became like... Antiseptic rather than creative. Well, it, you know, it became a marketing exercise. 
right. as opposed to a creative exercise. I remember giving a speech at one of the MTV Awards, warning everybody about this and getting applauded for it. Don't let the suits take over. Because at the beginning, it was the lunatics running an asylum, which it was just post-Beatles. Nobody knew what the hell was going on except for the musicians. It was exactly the same as that. Um, and unfortunately, it has changed. But I've, I've, I've tried to, to remain um, empathetic to the music, remain pure, and not fall for any of the shit. You know, there was a point in time where, can you come up with an idea that gets us to Spain? When the weather's really good. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny. I mean, that that's what they do in the music business. You know, I, I grew up through the 80s listening to all the hard rock, the deaf, you know, the, the deaf leopards and all that. And by yeah. the time you got to the end of the 80s, it was like, okay, this song, okay, this album needs a power ballad. This, this song needs this kind of guitar solo. And it's just like, oh, my God. They just totally took out the creativity and the spontaneity and the, the humanity and just turned it into... Here's a three-minute song. Here's a three-minute video. And it's just like, yeah. ugh, stop it. Stop I know. it. I know. I think, I think, though, there are, there are artists who have remained true to the form. Radio had been one. Right. A good example. They appreciate that having an interesting film to go with an interesting song has value. Um, I just try and deliver that every time if I do something. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll uh, I'll end on this. Uh, of course, I'll remind everyone that uh, Muscle Memory is available now. You can stream it and download it and buy it wherever you get your music. But uh, in the last few months, in the last few years, I have been completely overtaken by everything Peter Gabriel and Genesis. I've I've interviewed Tony Levin. I've interviewed uh, Manu Kache. I've interviewed uh, Paul Carrick, who of course worked with Mike and the Mechanics. I mean, I've just done everybody. Um. Oh, you yeah. did the, the, the song Don't Give Up. Now, that song is one, if you are depressed, if you are suicidal, you listen to that and it just tells you, keep going. Yeah. Um, when you're making a video that has that kind of message, which you know is going to have that kind of impact, where you know somebody is going to listen to it, maybe in a weakened state, and they're just going to go, oh, yes, all right, don't give up, and get that hope. Um, do you approach that differently than when making a video like Girls on Film or, or View to a Kill, which is more sort of fluffy and cute? Like, d yeah. does the subject matter change your vision? Of course. Okay. Every time. It, because that's that's where the whole thing starts. You, hopefully, you're not, you're not listening to a song and thinking, wow, which of my ideas shall I use? Shall I spoil this song with? It's... it's, it's it's not about that. As I said before, it's about capturing something that is integral to, to the music. So don't give up. Was, I mean, you, it's a gift for a start because you've got Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush. So inevitably, they have to be in it. Of course. Um, the idea of setting it against an eclipse was was the key not that the actual eclipse looks particularly good it's a bit ratty now looking at it because of the technology but nevertheless the performance they gave 
was absolutely gripping. Um, and, and that, more than anything else, is, is pretty much what you remember. Everything that's going on around it, and that isn't, there isn't a great deal, um, was just appropriate decoration or appropriate framing is probably the word. But an eclipse seems seemed to be the perfect emblematic image of what they were singing about. Things, things that you cannot control going dark, but inevitably coming out into the light on the other side, which was, which it just seemed to make perfect sense. Um, you know, I've seen the video many times and I've, and I've, I've, you're right. That, that, that's great imagery. I've never even thought of that. I, you just look at the video and you think, but yeah, that's brought that light into dark. Wow. I'm gonna to have to go rewatch that on YouTube later. <laughs> <laughs> don't look at the don't look at the eclipse too much because <laughs> it looked a bit shit now. Yeah, but well, it, it, you don't really look at it, uh, and and it, it was it was a very it was a lovely shoot because their performance was so staggeringly good. They got lost in it. They were like method singers, if there is such a thing. Um, well, I mean, I mean, both of them work at a higher level. I mean, you you don't get shit from Peter Gabriel or Kate Bush. They work at a at a whole different. Yeah, you know, they're from a different planet. Uh -huh. um, I'll, just to, just to add to that, Peter is known uh, as as a perfectionist. He won't put out a song or an album until it's absolutely perfect, and that's why we haven't had one in twenty years. Uh, when he's making a video, does does he ride your coattails and say, "Hey, hey, oh, hey, I got this"? I, I mean, or does he just say, "Okay, I, I can let go. You you take it. I'll just follow." Well, I'm just trying to think what we've done with him. I don't think we've done a huge amount. We did a video for uh, the song he did for uh, "Cry Freedom," the film about Steve Biko. Yeah, which again was 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 very very simple. Um, when you do a, a video for a film, the brief, as a matter of course, is how much movie can you get in it? Right. Uh, and then how much of me can you get in it? How much of the artist can you get in versus right. how much of the movie? Yeah, the treatment's easy. Well, huh? The treatment is easy. It's just cut in some clips of me, cut in some clips of the, yes, of the yeah, film. I, and We were looking for a way to show both all the way through. And we came up with a very simple solution to that, which was to have Peter in profile throughout the whole thing, but to fill in the profile with footage. So the two things are there simultaneously, pretty much throughout the whole film, um, neither one spoiling the other. But when we were doing um, Don't Give Up, I don't remember any sense of anybody going, well, I, you know, no ego trips, no... All the usual crap you get sometimes from the kind of artist that is concerned that his left side is better than his right side, or any of that. Or the singer who says, You've shown the drummer too much. Now Definitely not in that one. <laughs> no, we could have got his name on the eclipse had there been a drummer, but no, they there was a level of trust. But of course, you can always come and watch a playback on video of any take you want. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, I, I, I like the artist to go, whoa, that's, that's great. 
Right. But if they've got a problem with anything, we'll deal with the problem. But there was never any any problems like that. They 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 instinctively knew, I think, that, that what we were doing was was the right approach, and let us get on with it. Yeah, it's great. I I, you know, I I could talk creative process all day. I love that process. I love the whole thing. Uh, but as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. A pleasure. An absolute pleasure. pleasure. Uh, apologies for the delay. My my, as we said, my poor Zoom wouldn't launch, but we did, and we got it done. Yeah, I mean, it didn't break down either, which is a, which is a change. Oh, you you should have seen. I've been clicking at a whole bunch of stuff that has been launching. I don't know. It's it's one of those days. But hey. <laughs> Okay, well, no, that was a pleasure. That was nice. An all-new episode of the Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews. Bonus content. And episodes on demand now. Visit YouTube.com slash Jeremy White Show. Follow Mitch and Jeremy on Twitter. Yeah, they're verified. At Mitch LaFon and at Jeremy White MTL.